Hey there. What's happening? We're back. We're back. It's just me. It's just me and you talking about some crazy shit in space. Uh, We're going to go over tons of stuff this week. Like I said last time, we're catching up on all the stuff that we missed in May. Because it's June now. Holy shit. Uh, and uh, we're, we're going to be back to it for a little while. Uh, got tons of stuff. We'll go into it in the episode here. Um, but uh, we're back to the regular grind, people. I can't tell you. <laughs> uh, I missed it. I, I really did. I missed uh, coming down, talking to you guys. Uh, just, just me on the mic with all y'all. Uh, and uh, got, a, got, a, got a ton of stuff here. But we're going to take today to, and this week, to get ourselves back into place where we were uh, before we uh, changed gears in May. And I'll go into why uh, later on here. Um, But, as always, if you want to help support the show, really, number one, spread the word. Get out there. If if you love what we're doing, if you're listening to us uh, and and you you love what you're listening to and what we're doing here, go out there and tell people about it. You know, I, I think one of the biggest things right now is just people not knowing that we're even here talking about this stuff. So go out there, spread the word, and as always, you can help support the podcast by using our Amazon link. You're already doing your Amazon shopping. Online shopping's the shit. It's awesome. And if you do it through our link, then Amazon kicks us back for sending you to them. It's beautiful, and it costs you nothing. It's free. It costs you nothing. Uh, And all you got to do is use the link that's on every week's episode or on the homepage at todayinspace.net forward slash home. And that's it. It's as easy as that. So next time you need to buy, I don't know, anything, (laughs) use it. And uh, I really appreciate everyone who does use it. You guys are awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, let's get back into it, guys. It's been way too long. We're back to the old grind let's do it let's start this week's episode have a great week everyone enjoy today in space Today in space. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. It's June. That means it finally feels like summer. And I hope you enjoyed last month. You know, I I had a good time hanging out with some interesting human beings and talking about going for your dreams and doing things you're passionate about. And that's also why I changed pace last month. You know, I needed to find some time to focus on my next endeavor. And you'll find out about that by the end of the month here sometime. But what I wanted to really hammer home is that doing what you love or are passionate about is not easy. It's hard, just like space travel. It will test you. It will make it seem impossible. 
at times. The only thing keeping you going is your belief in your dream and in yourself. I've been going through that since I started the show. You know, it's been over a year now, and now with with going towards the next thing that I'm doing, you know, it's it takes a, a whole nother level of not just dedication, but maybe it's passion too. But it's 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 like stepping into the big leagues or or the minor leagues if you weren't even in the game before, you know. It's stepping up to that next level. And I think the good thing is is <laughs> I'm at least smart enough to know what I I am not good at yet. So at least I know what to work on, but that's also frustrating too. You know, it this this will test you. This will and what do I mean by this or it? Like I was talking about earlier. I'm talking about life. I'm talking about everything else that's also living with you at the same time. You know, and doing this every week, uh, I was talking to someone the other day. They were like, how long has the show been going on? I'm like, all right, so 86 episodes. That's what this one is. And it was kind of crazy to think back. I'm like, wow, that's so nuts. Like for a, a long time now, I've been doing this every week. You know, and sometimes I get them out on Thursday, like like I want to. Sometimes they have to be pushed like today to a Saturday. But the important thing is that I keep doing it. You know, I, I think one of the things I'm not very good at is giving myself credit for what I'm already doing because I, I can get very good at, at saying, okay, this is what's normal now. Got to get better. You know, got to do more. You know, and the big skill that I've realized as I'm moving to the next level here is I need to schedule my time way better. You know, I've gotten really good at having some slush time, you know, to enjoy my own things, to kind of ease into things. But I'm if if I'm going to add this next new awesome incredible, amazing thing. I need to make sure that I'm not screwing up the other things that I'm doing. I'm doing them very well. But if, if I have all this other stuff that's, that's coming into play, I need to be able to make that work. And that's the, the really tough thing I've been working on. Like it's, I, I, guys, I can't even tell you how hard it's been. But it's not about it being hard. It's about where I end up. That's what I keep telling myself. It's where I end up with this. That, that's, that struggle, that, that just frustration I feel about it not working now, that chaos. It's chaos. That's what it is. That chaos, in my mind, is me getting ready for the awesome shit that's about to happen. You know, and it's it's also getting rid of the old, you know, some of the old stuff. It's like, yeah, maybe I won't have time to sit around and play Star Wars on the PlayStation for a few hours. You know, I'm I'm growing up. Uh, you know, I'm I'm becoming more responsible, and I I feel myself maturing. I feel it inside. 
but I also feel my the child inside me screaming and having a tantrum. <laughs> so like I need to I need to balance both. And that's the that's the beauty of what we're doing here. What what you guys are listening to. This is my chance to be a kid and to to have that imagination and to let my mind go crazy. You know? And th- uh, if I if I don't say it enough, I really do want to thank each and every one of you for listening. So that way I'm not just talking into the darkness. <laughs> I'm just glad you guys enjoy it and that you guys stick around. And so what I want to do this episode is since we kind of moved away from what was happening in space, in the news, and just in our everyday life, I wanted to spend today to get everybody caught up on what happened in June and everything that, you know, this past week that happened. So that way we're all caught up so that way we can steam forward ahead and keep moving this ship going. All right. So thank you for sticking with me. Thank you for everything, for supporting the podcast, subscribing. Remember, tell your friends, tell your friends about me. All right. Okay. Let's get into it. So May had a lot of news as far as SpaceX is concerned, and so we'll start there. Let's go to the beginning of May, May 11th. Uh, The Dragon capsule that had launched up there previously packed with 3,700 pounds or so of scientific research and, and, and tons of things coming back to Earth splashed down off the coast of California safely. So that was a, a beautiful success that we have a capsule capable of doing that, of returning important things just like all the really important year in space materials that were returned with Dragon. So, you know, when we're talking about space travel, we're talking about the research that we're doing up there, there's a lot of things in play here that need to happen. Not only do we have to have a station that's orbiting up there and a way to bring people up there and supplies, we also need something that we can bring those supplies back to Earth. Because the whole time uh, we were waiting for the Dragon capsule to launch and attach with the ISS so we could pack it up and return to Earth, the samples for the year in space, for instance, were kept in a freezer on board. So that way uh, they'd be ready for whenever they could be brought back. And that's a really important part of our American space program that we uh, we have some options, but we we're desperately trying to find ways to do more with the money that NASA is given every year to do this kind of research and and to bring this stuff home. Having an option that's uh, more affordable and we can rely on reliability is huge and the fact that it's coming at a uh, a cheaper cost is is a godsend to an organization like nasa um who's completely constrained by uh whatever ends up coming to them after (laughs) the politics has their way with it so uh i i bring up SpaceX because I'm a fan, but also because it's changing, it's allowing us to do business differently in space, to to do more science in space, you know, and they're going full steam ahead. I mean, we've got 
three different events we can talk about from May. You know, and we'll move on to the next one with uh, the JCSAT that launched and landed on May 5th. So the first stage took off, uh, released, and uh, the cargo made its way into orbit. Uh, And the first stage came back and attempted a spaceport drone ship landing in the middle of the ocean. Uh, This one was... uh, a, a, a fast landing, not the fastest or, or anything like that, but it requires a lot of fuel. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was th- it was a three-engine uh, re-entry burn, which is higher than the most from what I could tell, uh, and that's because we needed to decelerate even more uh, coming out of that launch. And, and, and SpaceX was explaining this uh, during their broadcast, and I think it's a really important concept that needs to be repeated uh, because it's it's not obvious. You know, when we think about going into space, the natural <laughs> understanding is we're going up. But gravity is a motherfucker, okay? You know, we, we, we are so used to it, we don't even consider how much it really does stick us to the planet. It's very good at keeping us on, on the ground, <laughs> Uh, and so launching something into space, you know, going back to the early days of of the the early German made rockets, the uh, inner ballistic missiles. Um, not even sure if that's the right word, but you understand what I'm trying to say here. They had to figure out a way to fall fast enough around Earth so that they could go somewhere else because you can't just go up high and stay there. It's too expensive and way too difficult and of an engineering thing to do without an infinite supply of fuel. So when something's launching and going into orbit, which is what these missions are doing, the space station is in orbit. It's moving extremely fast sideways. And because the Earth is a sphere, you can, if you're going fast enough, fall fast enough so that you're constantly at the same height, you know, for, for argument's sake. You're, you're falling at the same speed, so that way you're orbiting the Earth. And it seems like you're just up there flying around like a plane does, but uh, it, it's different. It's different than that. You know, flying and going into space is, a, is way more horizontal than it is vo- vertical. And that's totally contradictory to what anyone would think of first and i wanted to make sure that point was was made because they they made a very good uh, point of it uh now the first stage rocket that did land on that barge the third attempt at landing a the falcon 9 any rocket on a barge in the ocean uh came down too fast and uh, took serious damage now that's not a bad thing Yes, is it is it a failed uh, landing? Yes, but uh, it did land upright, did not fall over and explode, so that's huge. Um, but uh, what they're going to use it as is, um, I forget the term, but they're going to use it as a model to base the rest of these rockets going forward whenever they land again. So they have a a standard. So that rocket, that third Falcon 9 landing 
uh, the rocket from that is going to be used as the model to base other landings off of to see if we can, uh, if they can, uh, reuse these rockets in the future. So that is a huge, huge step forward. Uh, and, and the other thing, I've, I've, you know, this last month I've, I've also done a lot more research into the background of SpaceX and, and Elon Musk, but uh, SpaceX is what I'm talking about today. Um, when they test these rockets before they go up, uh, and this is according to a book called Elon Musk, uh, or an interviewer uh, went in and, actually, let me get the name if you want to read this book. I personally am listening to it because uh, it's where I spend most of my time is in a car. So <laughs> audiobooks are my love. So it's Elon Musk, Tesla, SpaceX, and the quest for a fantastic future. And it's by Ashley Vance, uh, who I, I really do respect for her, uh, her dedication to journalism and to, to making sure to tell a story from all angles so that the true story is told. Because when you're telling a story about someone, uh, it's very easy to tell only your side. Um, and so the book does a very good job of, of balancing the back and forth. Um, and from what I understood also met with Elon plenty of times to get the story straight. So it's a great read. But the point I was trying to make is uh, SpaceX takes uh, every rocket that's going to go up, uh, or at least they used to do this, they would basically lie out the entire rocket um, and all the parts would basically go through a simulated run. Everything that was mechanical and even the software stuff would simulate the fact that it was going through a launch. So all the, the grid fins, I would guess the landing legs, uh, the engine parts, all the parts of the engine that move, and everything else, they're basically simulating an entire launch, giving the computer the information it would get in a real launch, like um, what altitude it's at, what's the atmospheric pressure, you know, and then that way all the things that are supposed to move do move. Now, they're not... I would assume they're not actually launching uh, or, or firing the engine. That would be crazy, and it would require a huge place to do that. Um, but even just running it through a simulation cuts out a ton of things that could go wrong, and just to make sure that it is working. And it's something that I don't think we've ever done in, in space technology. You know, allowing the entire... Uh, craft to to run one through you know do do a run through before you, you you get going there i think that's an incredibly um cool new thing that we're doing with technology that we can we can even do that i mean that just seems crazy it makes me think of the old days with the apollo missions where they would simulate a, a moon landing and really just every step of that mission, it, it really does sing to the old days of space travel, or, or as some would say, the glory days of space travel, even though I would argue we're going through our own age right now. You know, that, that simulation is such a huge part of space travel because you only get one shot. You don't get another you know, and there's millions of dollars and, <clears throat> in the case of Apollo, and 
down the line, human beings here, again, launching from America, the stakes are high, and every extra chance you can have to figure out more and to figure out if there's any problems beforehand so you're good to go is huge. Now, getting back on track, uh, there was actually uh, May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, there was actually a different launch um, that was done, uh, the JCSAT, uh, which uh, JCSAT-14, which is a commercial communication satellite uh, to geotran- geostationary transfer orbit, which uh, is the orbit where you're going as fast as the Earth is spinning so that you stay in one spot above an area because for communications, that's perfect because now your area that you're over is able to communicate within itself. So things like GPS, um, uh, you know, it could be uh, satellite, <clears throat> satellite TV, things like that are mainly geostationary orbit because it makes sense to stay above you. Um, simple, right? Now, on the other end, uh, at the end of this month, with TICOM 8. Uh, TICOM 8 was launched on the Falcon 9 and put into super synchronous orbit. So, what is that? What, what, what's the difference between geostationary and super synchronous orbit? Well, super synchronous orbit is... The economical way to get something into geostationary orbit, and let me let me explain. So again, a concept we've talked about in the show is that in space everything is about fuel. How much fuel do you use? Fuel is the cost. Fuel is one of the biggest costs and considerations you have to put in when you're doing anything in space. Because if you run out of fuel, you can't move, and you're going to be going however you were going before momentum, right? So super synchronous orbit is, from what I can understand, uh, and I'll, the Reddit page is on this post if you want to look at it, but the best answer for why super synchronous orbit is put, uh, is used, it's, and I'm quoting here, to reduce the total velocity change required by the satellite to reach geostationary orbit. So Supersynchronous orbit is used to get a satellite into geostationary orbit. Why? Because usually when you go into geostationary orbit through an elliptical transfer orbit, you're going to need, you're going to require a change in velocity or a change in speed of 1800 meters per second, which is extremely fast. I'll do the conversion here for a few seconds. Here for you in a second, thanks to Google. 1,800 meters per second. So miles per hour, 1,800 meters per second is over 4,000 miles per hour. Okay? So that's fucking fast. Okay, so if you're inserting that satellite in super synchronous orbit, then it reduces that change in, in velocity to only require 1,500. So 1,500 meters per second, what's that difference? What are we talking about here? About 3,400 miles per hour. 
So you go from 3,400, so basically 600 miles per hour, you're changing uh, for that satellite. Now, why would you need that difference? Why would you need uh, that slower speed to go in? Well, your satellite may not have or wants the capabilities to hold that much fuel because you're going to need more fuel in order to do that, right? Uh, unless you get real savvy and you figure out a way to do it with less. Essentially, going into that orbit slower is cheaper. And it requires less on the satellite. Because the satellite on itself needs to have everything that it's doing. If it's a communication satellite, it needs to have all of the uh, hardware and software built into the computer that's on board in order for it to do what it's supposed to do, right? It's also got to have power. It's probably got solar panels, and he's a place for a battery. All these things are on a satellite. It, it is a spacecraft, even though it's a satellite. It's a craft. It has all these different parts that are on board. And all of that comes down to how much does the satellite weigh at the end of the day. Because you need to launch that thing and pay a launch provider, because you don't build rockets. You need to pay someone with a rocket to bring you up there. And every kilogram, every pound changes that decision. So by having less fuel on board and putting yourself into an orbit where you need to use less fuel, you can put more on your satellite. Your satellite now can provide more value for what I would assume would be less cost. Or at the very least, the cost you're putting into the satellite is for the stuff it's supposed to do, not the fuel you need to get yourself there. So supersynchronous orbit is another option for getting you up there. And the cool thing about it is SpaceX is becoming an expert into doing this. And while they're doing this, they're paying for their way and paving their way to Mars. Because getting to Mars as a company, never mind a country, but as a company, is going to require a lot of money. Because you're going to need to do research. You're going to have to build all the new technology and test it and prove it out like we've seen SpaceX do with their Merlin engines and their, their Falcon 9s and their Dragon capsules. You know, all of this stuff takes money. And so the easiest way to do that is to help launch commercial satellites and military satellites into orbit. So, and then to add on the fact that they also are involved in the commercial sector for NASA by what they just did on the uh, Dragon Landing May 11th, bringing back crucial scientific um, payloads so we can keep moving this stuff forward. And they're not only doing that, they're trying to do it at a speed that's unheard of before, at a cost that's unheard of before. So once again, I talk about it because it's something to talk about. <laughs> Not so much that I'm a fanboy, but because it really is something that's changing the whole game. That's why I keep talking about them. And if there's anyone else who comes along who's doing the same, we'll talk about them. And the TICOM 8 launch, the landing of the, the first stage, actually happened successfully on the spaceport drone ship. 
uh, if you watch the broadcast, which is available on the website on this week's episode, uh, <laughs> you gotta you gotta watch it because it's so funny to watch. Every time there's a new launch and they're watching a landing, uh, the reactions when when they get footage in from the landing. You know, we've had a few now where the footage cuts out um, and then pulls back in. Or we've had a few where we can actually watch the entire landing as it's happening live. But sometimes those things do cut out. And this time was really no different. Uh, but it cut out. It cut out pretty much at like the crucial point where you're seeing the rocket come in. And then it just cut out, and it was like, oh, my God, it's there. Ah, people going crazy. It's so crazy to watch people who are at the SpaceX uh, headquarters and and listen to how batshit insane everyone sounds because it's crazy what they're doing. People are getting excited about space travel again, and, and something like that is so awesome to watch. Um, and also... They released footage of the first stage. Basically, they, I don't know how they did it, but it looks like they strapped a GoPro onto the top of the rocket, and you get to see down the rocket towards the landing legs as it's reorientating itself to land on the rocket again. And it's just, it's just fucking mind blowing when you think about it because when you look at it, it looks like the rocket is actually. Uh, turned its way all the way around and is like it launched sideways and then turned itself around and came back. But I'm not sure if that's actually the case. More that it, it's like it's like you're throwing a baseball with your buddy and he catches it on the other side. You know, it, it it's still moving forward, but you know, you're just catching it on the bottom, but from your perspective, it looks like it actually turned its way all the way around. I could be wrong. I haven't looked into it, but that's what it seems like to me, uh, because it really is this giant, <laughs> heavy mass that if we did this over land, could just fall on someone's house. <laughs> if the landing didn't go right or the, the, the engines didn't relight, you know, but it, it's just crazy. Uh, that they're doing it, and number one, that the, most importantly, that they're sharing it with us. I think that's uh, incredible. They're, I'm getting super pumped. I mean, you guys, you guys know this every week. I get, I get way, way excited about this stuff, <laughs> and to see it done, and for them being completely open about it, is great because that that landing is what will end up on some crazy fanatics page about how the Earth is actually flat. And all this stuff is faked, that all these people who have jobs are getting paid salary, essentially, just to sit there and, and look like they're smart and not do it right, <laughs> and all this stuff. And they'll always be there. Those people will always be there. You know, that's, it's, it's natural for human beings to believe the, the earth is flat, because we've already been there. That's history, people. That is human history, that <laughs> the humans believe the earth is flat. So it's not surprising that people are going back to that, that people are believing that the world is flat again. It's crazy, but it is true. And so I love when they release stuff like this because it's like, man, how the hell would you fake something like that? You, it's way too much work. Never mind to keep that many people sh shut up. You know, 
and especially in a private company. You know, the government thing, you know, that, you know, the government's keeping a secret thing, you know, that, that kind of wears out after a while because, okay, these the companies are saying they have the same, you know, pull as a government agency. You know, it just, it just, it, it just has so many holes in it. And I laugh, but for everybody else, please watch that video. I think it's an incredibly cool perspective to see basically almost a, a quarter of a hemisphere of the earth and then watch the rocket come down and then land on the barge. Like there's the change in perspective is just so crazy. And the fact that they did it in a few hours that it went into space and it's back is just mind blowing to me. Really, really is like, this is the future people. This is happening right now. This is, this is happening and it's fucking incredible. <laughs> now, uh, in other news, in other orbital news, uh, Bigelow Aerospace's uh, inflatable capsule went through its steps uh, over the past few weeks. You know, it was installed thanks uh, SpaceX uh, helped bring it up, and uh, it was loaded with the Canada Canada Arm Two, and they went through the steps of inflating it. Now. Uh, I did watch the broadcast when they tried their first filling up uh, with air. I'm not really sure what the procedure is called, but that's what we're going to call it, the filling up of air procedure, okay? Uh, and when you watch them uh, you know, on the other side of that door, the astronauts on the other side of that door, f- filling up the... <laughs> the inflatable capsule from from the other side inside the station that door that's holding them from the vacuum of space that one in particular looked like something that would in a movie (laughs) explode (laughs) and break off i'm watching it just terrified like oh my god oh my god this is terrifying but it would be terrifying if they just decided let's just pump it full of air turn the valve on and Let's explode it open. That's not the way they do it at all. <laughs> not even close. It's a very, very slow procedure. And actually, if you go and look at the different videos, the time lapses they've done, <clears throat> they approach this very methodically and very safe. In fact, the first air filling stopped uh, after only a few seconds uh, because you know they have this curve of pressure that's if you're here, you're good. When they were filling it, the line of that pressure went too high. And so they had to shut down uh, the process. But it continued. You know, uh, A few days later, they went back at it. Actually went twice the duration they went before, if I'm not mistaken. They went longer. And it went well. But it wasn't what I expected. And I imagine what everyone else expected. You know, you expect the inflatable craft to kind of just like, you know, like blow up, you know, and like a balloon, you know, but it's so much more involved than that. And it makes sense. We're dealing with space here. It is not easy. It's not uh, something that you can just do, especially with the potential of blowing up the International Space Station. I mean, you're going to take that slowly. Uh, And it's interesting because the Bigelow Aerospace Inflatable is... 
is essentially these layers of material that um, help protect the astronauts inside uh, from debris. So that if it goes through the first layer, by the time it gets a few layers deep, it's already taken away so much of the impact. You know, and that's actually how the space station, uh, a lot of the shielding that's already available, that technology is not new. Um, But it hasn't been done in this way before. So, in fact, uh, the New Horizons spacecraft has that kind of technology on there to protect the onboard computers and every all the sensors that are super sensitive uh, from debris. Because, you know, as we were making our way to Pluto, we didn't know if it was this crazy, chaotic, you know, asteroid debris field. You know, it's, it's not that at all, actually, when we, when we went by it, but you have to prepare for that. So in order to prepare for putting humans in inflatable spacecraft in the future, you need, excuse me, you need to make sure that something can't just come through and poke a hole in it (laughs) and then you're dead. That's not good. So the inflatables, uh, you can actually see it as it's blowing up. There's, it's almost like, it looks like flaps, you know, like there's just multiple flapped layers, almost like, uh... Uh, roofing shingles, I guess, is the best way to uh, explain it. If you ever put up roofing shingles uh, or shingles on the side of a house, um, it, it's it's a layering, you know, just like a, a cake. All right, let's, let's go food here. So uh, when it's expanding, it's, it's slowly, uh, those layers are slowly coming apart and growing. And I'm sure you can't do those. You can't have those layers expand too quickly either, because maybe they'll catch and tug, and then you rip, and there you go. That's your. That's the end of <laughs> your inflatable spacecraft history, right there, because we didn't approach it right. So, not what I expected, but really cool to watch, uh, especially the end of it when you actually see uh, the Bigelow Aerospace inflatable. Um, done you know it's 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 a really really cool thing and and it could be the next big thing in space once we test this out more you know bigelow aerospace bought the patent for that technology from nasa that was uh being worked on and they took it and now they're working with nasa to take this technology to the next step so the the idea of the private space industry this is another perfect example that, you know, the government side takes an idea, gets it going, and then the private side can take it and run with it, you know, with their own uh, fervor and, and passion. Uh, not that the, the people at NASA don't, but they have to, once again, deal with politics. So they can get things going, but keeping it going is something I think the private sector is so important. And we see that with Bigelow and SpaceX and Blue Origin, Armadillo Aerospace. There's so many of them out there. So I'll do my best to keep you all updated on on everything private industry. But as far as this upcoming week, the big thing is June 6th, Jeff Williams will be entering the human-rated expandable module So he's actually going inside this thing. So, you know, within a month, we've had it expanded 
and now some a human being, Jeff Williams, astronaut extraordinaire, is going in there. This is crazy shit. <laughs> this is this is really amazing stuff that's happening, and it's happening at, at a pretty good pace. You know, this is this is a uh, an incredible time for space. It really is. You know, and uh, they're doing leak checks to make sure that. Uh, Everything that we can learn about an inflatable spacecraft can be learned. So we're making the best use of our time. And, I mean, I don't know about you, but inflating it and having a, an astronaut in there in a month is pretty damn good timing. I mean, I expected this. Once I saw the, the speed it was going to take to inflate it, I'm like, man, when are they going to get an astronaut in there? This might be months, but it, it's looking good. So that's some really cool stuff that we're going to see here. Um, and it's going to be two years that this spacecraft is going to be up there, and they're going to be taking data on it. Um, they're going to be taking air samples. They're going to be checking uh, vent valves, uh, ductings to make sure the air circulation is better. Um, all these different things that they're going to be testing, uh, and we'll be keeping you updated on all those things, including radiation, micrometeoroids, and debris, and to see how good it actually does hold up. So we'll keep you updated as all that crazy shit keeps happening. <laughs> you can check out all this info. The links will be on this week's page. Um, and that about does it for the Orbital News Recap for the month of May. Now we're back to real life again. So now before we close out the show, I saw this online... And I really, really couldn't wait to bring this up because this study that I'm going to talk about is a prime example of what happens when people don't understand science and it becomes this pseudoscience. It becomes this thing that takes on its own legs without any basis in science and just runs amok. And so this is why discipline and sticking to real science and teaching people real science is super important. All right? This study went out there to try and see what the consumer knowledge gap was for genetically modified foods. Now, before we start, I will give you my opinion on the genetically modified foods. Genetic modification happens all the time. It's what we do when we procreate. It's what we do with dogs when we have different breeds. That is genetic modification. Okay, there's no doubt about that. But I also have a healthy amount of skepticism as I do with many things. All things, really. Because I'm, I'm a person of science, human of science. I have a skepticism of, do we really know everything, all the repercussions of doing it ourselves and not in a, a way that's natural, which is this, you know, like we do with dogs, breeding by selection. You know, and if we're doing anything more than that, if we're doing it in a lab under different conditions, it's understandable to have some skepticism on that, whether it's the same process. But that doesn't mean I think they're bad. I think we should be skeptical. There's a difference. 
The other side of this is when things go all crazy. Okay? So this study is trying to go out there to try and figure out, okay, what do people who are buying food at grocery stores, at uh, let's see here, let me read it, what it actually says. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I'm just reading, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, and it's something that as this crazy <laughs> political debate goes on, this is going to come up. Genetically modified foods is going to come up. So uh, what I'm trying to do is give you some f- some fuel out there on just how crazy people can get when they don't know what the fuck they're talking about, okay? Now, this study talks about consumers' impressions of genetically modified foods and other organisms. Now, the question I'm bringing up that just blew my mind was a question that was asked to... <laughs> to folks about whether or not uh, it should be mandatory. If they support a mandatory label for food containing genetically modified ingredients, okay? 84% of people of the over uh, 1,004 participants online... They were asked, and this is from Florida as well, so you can imagine there's a little bit of crazy in there already. But a thousand participants were asked about genetically modified foods. Eighty-four of the ones sampled supported putting labels on food if it's genetically modified. Okay? But in another question, 80% of people who were sampled supported a mandatory label for food containing what? DNA. 80% of the 1,004 people from Florida who took this internet survey actually believe that we should put on food whether it has DNA. What the fuck kind of shit have they learned in their lives? Do you not understand that DNA is is a fundamental piece of all life. We talked about it on the last episode, the bacteria that lives in your body that helps you sustain, that helps keep you alive and keep it alive, has its own DNA. So you think that, that people are just injecting DNA into foods? They're changing the DNA and then shoving it into food. So now the, D, the, the food has DNA. So I want to know if it has it in there. People don't understand what the fuck they're talking about. And that's what we have to deal with as scientifically minded people. Or people who just think for themselves. There are people out there who honestly do think that... <laughs> Apparently, food doesn't have DNA. You know, and you know what the big issue is? That genetically modified foods and the whole discussion became something that people can just jump on. Something that people can say, well, I support this. Or I support that. It's this really crazy thing that's happening in America. And... 
We're talking about it today because it reaches into the field of science. People don't understand what they're talking about. And so you have a few options. Do you get mad and frustrated and then go to war against those people, even if it's just intellectually? You know? Do you go out there trying to battle stupidity or ignorance? It's one way to do it. I wouldn't do that. You know? Do you just stick to yourself and say, you know what? They're all crazy. I'm not. So... They can just deal with it. That's also not a good option. What I want and what I try and do is help people think that way. Help people think scientifically. Help people just plain think. Because honestly, they didn't when they answered that question. (laughs) They just, they just want to talk about everything and have their own opinion and that's fine but when you're talking about something that's actually has stats to it has real life things and then you say something like i want to know if my food has dna in it you got to check yourself man you've got to look in the mirror and just be like what has happened with my life that i got so caught up in being the cool person or, or being in that I actually didn't think food had DNA in it. And so what you can do is be a good friend to people. <laughs> be a good friend to the people that you're friends with. And if you ever have someone who just goes too far, just pull them to say, hey, look, dude, Chica, it's okay. It's fine. You didn't know. It's good. It's okay. This is what it is. Talk to them in a calm voice, like you're talking to a friend who needs some help. All right? Go out there and be a, be a good science friend. All right? So that hopefully we can get people to think. <laughs> oh, that, that one just... I mean, Really? I, I, I got a kick out of it. Only in Florida, people. Only in Florida. Can you have 80% of 1,004? Let's do the number. Let's, what's 80% of 1,004? I mean, does it really matter? It's 80%? No. But we're going to do it anyways. That's 803 and uh, a fifth of a person. So 804 people essentially thought that food doesn't have DNA. We need to spread science, and we need to spread love. Okay? (laughs) I say it every week for a reason. (laughs) We need to do both. We can't just attack people with science because they will reject it because you're yelling at them. (laughs) So go out there and help these poor people understand where the fuck they're going wrong. Okay, so since it's summer and you're going to have plenty of time now to go outside with friends and hang out, have a fire, 
maybe a few drinks and, and, and talk about what's next for all you guys and, and all the stuff you're all going through. This month, you have some great, great opportunities to look up and to enjoy the night sky in its fucking glory. Okay, so what are you, what would you have to look out for? So uh, with, with your plain eyes or even just a pair of binoculars, um, Mars and Jupiter and its moons are right after dark. You know, you don't even have to stay up that late for it. Um, really what you just need to do is to look for the moon. Uh, look for the moon, uh, if you're in, uh, this area, I believe it's the western sky, and you're gonna see both Jupiter, Jupiter is gonna be brighter, and then Mars will also be there. Um, I believe Saturn as well, um, you'll be able to, with a telescope, actually see its rings, um, and a lot of really, really cool stuff. Uh, there's gonna be a video on this week's episode of the What's Up from uh nasa uh thanks to uh uh let me find her name here so many tabs uh jane houston jones at nasa's jet propulsion laboratory in pasadena california um puts one out every month it's got plenty of information for you to uh look what's up and uh Make sure to go check it out. Uh, great video. That does it for this week's Look Up. Uh, next month, we'll have more on, on the mythology of the constellations. We'll head right back into the weirdness that is Greek mythology. God, I love it. So in the meantime, make sure you spend your summer with your friends checking out the night sky. It's never boring, I can guarantee you that. Although light pollution does make it suck, all right? There's one thing we're definitely attacking it is light pollution. That shit needs to end now. Because we all need to see the night sky in its fucking glory like we should. It is our right <laughs> as human beings to see the sky like we used to. So we can come up with crazy shit on why it's there and why we're here. But, alright, enough, enough ranting. Let's finish up here. Alright. That, that does it for this week, everybody. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for coming back. I really appreciate it. If you have any people out there who uh, like to, to, to imagine, who love space, who love science, uh, introduce them to the show. Let's, let's start spreading the love out there and spreading the word about science and space and all this crazy shit we talk about on the show, all right? So go tell your friends about me. Enjoy your week. Uh, kick some ass. Go after what you're going after. Spread love, spread science. I love you guys. See you next week.